this is Truth Time Radio, providing Bible answers in a clear way for all to understand. Bible questions? Email us from our website, truthtimeradio.com. Love is the ticket, the train it will take us. No one can stop us, nobody will break us. Follow the rhythm that leads us to heaven tonight. Yes, sir, Mr. Chesney, we need to spread the love all over the world. Love is the ticket, the train it will take us. No one can stop us, nobody will break us. Truth Time Radio, here again to spread the love, and uh, we do that by taking advantage of every opportunity we're given to plant some more truth seed. We can share money, we can share food, and we can share a sundry of things, but never forget, it's truth that will set you free. Some are bothered by the truth of God's Word because they've never heard it before, and when it drops by for a visit, they tell it to get lost and don't let the door hit you on the way out. They're only comfortable with what they already know. They're nice and cozy and don't want to be disturbed, happy with their tradition. But listen, truth is not measured by familiarity. Truth is truth whether you've ever heard it or not. I found that for many, one experience takes front seat and outweighs a hundred Bible verses. And the type of experience doesn't matter. If someone's had an emotional experience... You can give them Bible verses that clearly prove that experience not to be true, and they don't care. If someone has had traditional experiences, where they've heard something taught for so long, they are bent on accepting that tradition over the truth. For the past two weeks, we've been looking at the book of John. Today, we move to 1 John. So what I want you to do is get your Bible, get a sheet of paper and a pen, and with your pen, draw a line down the middle of the paper. Get your Bible and get a plain piece of paper and put a line straight down the middle of the paper. On one side of the paper, I want you to write this. Salvation is of the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. And beside that, in parentheses, write John 4.22. John 4.22 Now, on the other side of the paper, write these words. Through Israel's fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. And beside that, in parenthesis, write Romans 11.11. Romans 11, verse 11. Get a pen, get a pen and paper and write this down. On one side, salvation is of the Jews, John 4.22. And on the other side, salvation has come unto you and I, the Gentiles. Now this is good news. Because of Israel's fall, you and I can now have salvation. We obtain mercy because of their unbelief, Romans 11.30. Now, you've got your list and you've got your Bible. Open your Bible and start with the book of Matthew. And here's what I want you to do. Go through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, and find where the Jew and Gentile are separate. Find where there is a distinction being made between the Jew and Gentile. Okay? Write those down. Write them on the left side of the paper. Next, search out the books showing where the Jew and Gentile are made one, no longer separate, and write those down. Write those books down on the right side. 
And it's in those books. Now listen, it's those books, the ones on the right, the ones that show that the Jew and Gentile are no longer separate, but made one. It's there, there that you'll find your salvation doctrine. And by the way, those books you wrote down on the right side, the ones that show that in Christ there is no longer a division, those are Paul's books. It's Romans through Philemon that deal with Jew and Gentile in one body. Prior to and after those books, there's a distinction being made between the two. Jew and Gentile are separate. And that's where you'll not find your salvation doctrine. That's what Paul is trying to get across to us when he wrote that we must rightly divide the word of truth. The phrase, word of truth, means the gospel of your salvation. The Bible is its own dictionary, and the word of truth is defined in Ephesians 1.13. So if we're told to rightly divide the gospel, that means there's more than one. Get that today. There is no other logical conclusion. If the Bible says to rightly divide the gospel of your salvation, that means there's more than one gospel of salvation. We must rightly divide the gospel that was being preached when a distinction was being made between Jew and Gentile in your Bible from that gospel that Christ gave to Paul when there was no longer a distinction between the two. Hey, if you don't get anything else today out of this program, get this. Your Bible is made up of books that represent a time when Jew and Gentile were separate, and your Bible has books that represent a time when Jew and Gentile are one. And that time is in this present day in which we are living. One in Christ. If you get nothing else today but this one vital piece of information, hey, we're doing good. We're making progress. Now, with your pen, do this. On the side of your chart where earlier you wrote, Salvation is of the Jews, under that, under that, write this. Spoken since the world began. Spoken since the world began. And next to it, in parentheses, write, Peter, Acts 3.21. Okay, on the other side of your chart, where you earlier wrote, Through Israel's fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. Under that, write this. The mystery was kept secret since the world began. The mystery was kept secret since the world began. And next to it, in parenthesis, write Paul, Romans 16.25. How can you make sense of the Bible? By simple comparisons. This is why God, in His infinite wisdom, instructed us to compare words with words. 1 Corinthians 2.13 And we not only compare words with words to find the similarities, but to also find the vast differences. And here, when comparing Peter with Paul, the differences are clear. If you'll just look at your chart, you'll see that Peter's preaching things that had been spoken for a long time, since the world began. However, in stark contrast, and diametrically opposing that, Paul's preaching Jesus Christ, and I quote, according to the revelation of the mystery. That's important data, important information that had been, quote, kept secret since the world began. 
You see, part of your Bible contains information spoken by all the holy prophets since the world began, Acts 3.21, while the other part of your Bible speaks of mystery information, which no prophet anywhere in your Bible ever spoke of. Reason? Because no prophet knew it. Just believe the Bible. It was kept secret since the world began, as we're told in Romans 16.25. A good question is, do you believe all the Bible is true? But a better question is, do you believe it's all true and to you? You see, while most make a distinction, a dividing line between the Old and New Testament, what most do not do is make any distinctions in the New Testament. Let us here at Truth Time Radio assist you in locating the distinctions. There's distinctions even in this New Testament. And we'll not only help you locate them, but we'll show you where they fit. If you've yet to identify them and you're a Bible believer, keep listening. I have to tell you how much I've enjoyed the past few months of Truth Time. It is consistent and straight to the point. I appreciate your candor in getting to the truth. You have helped me to see the differences between the church, the body of Christ, and the other churches found in Scripture. Seeing the differences has helped me to clear up many doctrinal issues. Donald Mansfield, League City, Texas. Thanks for your support of Truth Time Radio. Visit us today at truthtimeradio.com. But what I really want to know is... Okay, we're back with more Truth Time. I'm Trey Searcy, and you know for the past few weeks, we've been studying the writings of the Apostle John. So often people are told that you're saved, so now go home and read the book of John. Well, what we've been doing here on Truth Time Radio is asking why. So far, we've learned that John 4.22 declares salvation to be of the Jews. While in contrast, Paul writes that in Christ there is no longer a distinction between Jew and Gentile. Galatians 3.28 And if salvation is still of the Jews, we've got serious problems. Because Romans 11.25 says they've been blinded, and Romans 11.11 says they've fallen. And it's through their fall that God changed the order of how we're saved. It's through their fall that salvation came to us. And John 5.29 declares that salvation comes to those who do good, even though Paul later says salvation has nothing to do with your good works. Romans 4.5, Ephesians 2.9, and Titus 3.5, just to mention a few. We learn that without the death of Christ, it's absolutely, positively, 100% impossible to even have a New Testament. So what does that mean? That John chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and so on, even though it's found in the New Testament section of your Bible, does not, does not contain New Testament doctrine. There's a lot of doctrine found in the portion of your Bible marked New Testament that matches up with Old Testament doctrine. We learn that John, Galatians 2.9, preached the gospel of the circumcision. He never preached our gospel, the gospel of the uncircumcision. 
we learn that just as Peter and James never wrote to the Gentiles, 1 Peter 2.12 and James 1.1, 1, 1, neither did John, John 4.22 and 3 John 1.7. So today we move on to 1 John. 1 John is a Hebrew, not Gentile, but Hebrew epistle. A Hebrew epistle was written to Hebrew people. It doesn't take a whole lot of smarts for that. In the New Testament books, not written by Paul, one nation is the primary focus, the nation Israel. However, Paul wrote the nations, plural. And you too can see this truth for yourself if you'll just pick up your Bible and simply compare Peter and Paul. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter speaks of a, quote, holy nation. No S, it's singular. A nation of royal priests. You're not a priest. While Paul in Romans 1.5 speaks of, quote, faith among all nations. There's an S. That's plural. Nation or nations. You do the math. I was once asked by a, a Truth Time listener, hey, what do others need to do to get this? I said, wipe away their prejudice and start over. Many come to the Bible having prejudged what they're reading. Instead of going to the Bible to try to find what to believe, they go there trying to prove what they already believe. 1 John is a book for Israel containing their doctrine, doctrine they're going to need when they go through their coming tribulation, and it's not a book for imposters, the posers who pretend to be Israel, those who say they are Jews but are not, Revelation chapter 2 verse 9. And while they're over there today making these false claims, the truth will come out one day. And they'll be made to worship before the feet of God's true Israel. Revelation chapter 3 verse 9. You see, these imposters who claim to be descendants of biblical Israelites actually only adopted the Jewish religion around the 8th century. Their ancestry are of Russian, German, and Eastern European descent. And by the way, they look nothing like the true Israelites of the Bible. In the Bible, people made the mistake of thinking Israelites were Egyptians. And for anyone wanting to know what the native Egyptians look like, just Google the name Aristotle. He described how they looked back in the 4th century B.C. And listen, we're talking ancient Egyptians, the native Egyptians, the ones we see depicted in the pyramid wall paintings. Moses was a Hebrew Israelite, but clearly looked like an Egyptian. Exodus chapter 2 verses 17 through 19. And even our apostle, the apostle Paul, an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, looked like an Egyptian. Acts chapter 21 verse 38. He didn't look like these we see today on TV claiming to be the descendants of biblical Israel. It's through them that the idea of political Zionism emerged, which later led to the establishment of the state of Israel. And if the reestablishment of Israel is prophecy, and it is, riddle me this, how could it have taken place in 1948, which is a time of mystery? 1 John is a Hebrew epistle 
written to the true Hebrew Israelites, and it's that premise by which the book should be read. 1 John 1.9 says, If we, and the we here is biblical Hebrews and not those who merely occupy a piece of land today, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let's think about this. If this is to us, what kind of logic does it make? If we confess our sins, the sins he already died for, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, the sins that he already forgave, and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even though that came by faith at the moment we believe the gospel, Romans 4, 5. You see the problem? You see how this verse could not possibly be for us today? The we of the verse are resurrected Hebrews who will need to endure unto the end as they go through the tribulation, Matthew 24, 13. And it's then that they'll receive their salvation. That's why Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So you see, it's clear that they'll have their sins blotted out when the Lord returns to set up their kingdom. That's why it says, From the presence of the Lord. They'll be in His presence when their sins are blotted out. But not so for us today. We're told that our sins have already been forgiven. Colossians 2.13 You see, man in his pride likes to place conditions on his salvation. So he can then boast, I've met the conditions. Yeah, look at me, look at me. Hey, there's nothing in your flesh you can do, no conditions to be met that will earn your salvation. The conditions were met several hundred years ago by someone other than yourself. You're not in the picture. He did it. It's Him you should boast in and stop bragging on yourself and how you confess your sins and ask for forgiveness. If we do something that, uh, well, I like to call reverse the verse, 1 John 1.9 would read, If we don't confess our sins, He won't be faithful to forgive our sins. How fortunate we are that John never wrote this down for us to follow. And thankfully so, for if he did, we would have a Bible that contradicts itself. We would be smack dab in the middle of works for salvation. So when we flip the verse, it reads, If we don't confess, he won't forgive. If, if, if. If we do, he does. If we don't, he won't. Hey, that's a covenant plan for salvation, and it's straight out of the Old Testament, and it's not for you. 1 John 1.9 is an Old Testament doctrine that happens to be in the New Testament section of your Bible. Read it for yourself. In the Old Testament, you'll find it in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 5. There, Moses writes, When he shall be guilty in one of these things, he shall, what? Confess. He shall confess that he hath sinned in that thing. And this is 1 John 1.9, back here in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, when Israel was under the law. And the next verse, verse 6, tells them how to bring a sin offering to the priest so that he can make atonement for their sin. So just how does this pertain to you? That's right, it doesn't. Because the context is Israel, just as 1 John 1.9 is to Israel. If you'll only begin to be contextually honest with yourself, this book will open up to you like never before. You want more evidence? Leviticus 16.21 
Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat, and, ah, there's that word again, confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins. Wow, it's amazing when we just read the Bible and let it stand on its own. Needs no help from Pat Robertson. Needs no help from Daystar, TBN, or the Inspiration Channel. Needs no help from Trey Searcy over there at Truth Time Radio. Just read it and believe what you read. Who's speaking? God. Who's he speaking of? Well, he says, all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins. So I guess he's speaking about Israel. Just believe the Bible. Are you able to digest this truth yet? Still not there? Let's try again. Leviticus chapter 26 verse 40. They shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespasses which they trespassed against me. Who's the they? Israel. And if you'll only keep reading, you'll notice that verse 46 declares sin confessing to be a part of the statutes and the judgments and the laws which the Lord made between him and the children of Israel in Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. And there you are, you've had a conversation with someone and you told them, no, we're not under the Old Testament stuff. Meanwhile, you're following Old Testament salvation doctrine in the book of John. The problem is, you think rightly dividing means to separate the New Testament from the Old Testament. Do you not find it strange that while sin confessing is found throughout most of the Bible, it's totally absent from the letters of Paul? Is it a conspiracy? Did someone remove it? Did someone delete it from his letters? Or was it perhaps just not meant to be practiced by his audience? We can also see sin confessing in Numbers chapter 5, Joshua 7, but in every time, without exception, Israel is always the focus. The issue of sin confessing is not even debatable unless you dishonor the context. Hey, either Christ died for your every sin or he didn't. If he didn't, you better be confessing your sins. But if he did, your confessing them is offensive. You know, it's like a sign I, I, I recently saw that said, Satan says, look at your sin. God says, look at my son. TruthTimeRadio.com is the website. Go there today. Hey, have you ever considered this? If 1 John 1.9 were written to us, then what about all those sins we forgot to confess? It was just one sin that got Adam and Eve expelled from the garden. If just one sin goes unaccounted for, then you'll have to go to hell. And you cannot say that, well, what I'll do is I'll say, Dear Lord, also forgive me for the sins I have forgotten. If you believe the Bible, that kite just won't fly. First John 1 John 1.9 plainly says, If we confess 
if we confess our sins. So clearly the sin would have to be remembered in order to be confessed, would it not? Confess the sins is what it says, and confess the sins is what it means. Each sin would have to be confessed, and then God would be faithful and just in forgiving each sin. Mercy, I'm so thankful that Galatians chapter 2, verse 7, 8, and 9 confirm that John was not writing this to me. And I'm just as thankful that John 4, 22, 3 John 1, 7, and Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6 also declare that John did not write this to me. When you start studying this on your own, you'll find that these verses begin to pile up. The evidence becomes somewhat overwhelming. But many would rather just look past the evidence and stare down the hallway of their own self-absorbed tradition. If you think that sins are forgiven because of something you do, then tell me just what do you do with the following verses. And while we're looking at these verses, keep in mind that they all come from the pen of the Apostle Paul. These verses are what the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ told him to write down. And one other thing to keep in mind, well, let me turn that into a challenge. Most everyone likes a good challenge, so here it is. Here's my challenge to you. Find me one verse, just one, not two, three, four, or five, just one. For anyone who wants to just blow this off and declare that what I'm saying just cannot be true, well, find me one verse in Paul's 13 letters, Romans through Philemon, that says that we need to confess our sins to get them forgiven. Just one verse in any of Paul's writings declaring that God will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness after after we confess them to Him. And after you've tried and failed, here's what I want you to do. Ask yourself, how could I ever have believed that salvation was by grace alone without one work, without me doing anything, while at the same time believe that i got to do something? I gotta make certain to confess each and every individual sin. How could I have ever believed both? What was I thinking? You know, it's a dandy idea for us to just turn our brain on and actually listen to the words that come out of our mouth. Turn our brain on and actually just think. Think on our own. God, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 isn't condemning you anymore. And you do know that Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21, was made to be sin for you, right? Were you not reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5.19, by the death, burial, and resurrection? With all sins forgiven, Colossians 2.13, all means all, does it not? Did not Christ satisfy God fully and completely at Calvary, Romans 3.25? Well, if the answer is yes, please explain just how it is that if all sins are forgiven, you with a straight face can tell someone that they need to get out the 1 John 1, 9 bar of soap and confess them to get them forgiven. 1 John 1, 9 is not your instruction. The instructions John wrote were exclusively written to the Jews of that day, John 4:22 and 3 John 1, 7. Does not Colossians 1.14 tell us that through His blood we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins? Not through our confessing, not through our asking, but through His blood. And by faith, not sin confessing, Colossians 2.10, you are complete in Him. Listen, God, Romans 5.1, isn't angry with you anymore. Oh, but i got to confess my sins so God can forgive them. 
Listen, Christ already totally satisfied humanity's sin debt. God no longer forgives sins. God doesn't forgive sin on the merits of you doing anything. He forgave. He forgave. Past tense. He forgave them on the merits of Christ and what He accomplished alone. God not only died to forgive us, but He died to forgive this Israel we read about in the Bible. The difference between our sins being forgiven and their sins being forgiven is we are saved and kept saved by faith alone without any works. They, on the other hand, had to have works attached to their faith. God required them to have faith plus works to maintain and secure their salvation. They are still waiting to have their sins blotted out, Acts 3.19. They must hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to them when Christ returns, 1 Peter 1.13. You... Praise God, you have it now, Ephesians 1.7. Members of the body of Christ should not respond to sin by confessing it. We should respond to sin by stopping it. Renew our mind day by day and try not to do it anymore. But thankfully, our salvation does not depend on how successful we are in the flesh. Our salvation lies solely on the success of Christ and what He accomplished on our behalf. Thank God that victory over sin for our eternal life was won by Christ at Calvary's cross. But if you want to be more successful over sin in this temporal life, it won't come by confessing it. It'll come by a better understanding of who you are in Christ. We glory in the cross, not in the world. Stop confessing your sins and start confessing who you are now that you're in Christ. Set your affections on things above instead of the things of this world. Stop confessing your sins and start confessing that you're in Christ. You died with Him. You were buried with Him. And now, praise be to God, you're alive with Him. Amen. Stop confessing your sins and start confessing that Christ, who knew no sin, took your place and was made to be sin for you. And even though you fall short and sin, God no longer sees you as a sinner. You're no longer a stench in the nostrils of God. You've now become a sweet-smelling aroma of Christ, 2 Corinthians 2.15. To God, you're like the sweet ointments that were poured forth in the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 3. Seeing these distinctions will help to clear up the many unanswered questions that religion has left you with. Should we read 1 John? Yes, it's part of God's holy, perfectly preserved word and helps greatly in explaining the big picture of things. However, I do know that it is a Hebrew epistle written to Hebrew people in their tribulation condition and my hands-on day-to-day performance application is absent and simply not found there. Those who believe they're forgiven on the basis of their confessing or that they're sorry enough, well, unfortunately, this is the standard by which they forgive others. I think I'll forgive them only after they have done this and that. I think I'll forgive them if they prove to me that they're sorry enough. This goes against the present day standard of how Christ tells us to forgive others. Here's how we're to respond to those who have wronged us. Listen carefully. Be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Ephesians 4.32 Not is, not will, not might perhaps if you do something, but hath forgiving you because the sins you've done already and the sins you've yet to do, listen, you're forgiven. That's the gospel. That's the good news. 
Now, it's when you come to realize and accept this truth, it's at that time, it's then and only then that you can begin to properly forgive others for what they have done to you. Just as God did at the cross, when He let it go, when He completely forgave the world of their sin against Him, 2 Corinthians 5.19, just as He did, so can you. You see, the reason God now accepts you, even though you have a hard time accepting yourself, well, it's because He sees you in His Son. Satan had me right where he wanted me for the most part of my life because I saw myself for what I was in the flesh. And oh, that pleases him. But once I got a hold of this grace message, I got a new pair of glasses. I got a new prescription and began to see myself as God sees me. And I've been a thorn in Satan's side ever since. And know this, seeing yourself as God sees you will help you walk it out and live more like God wants you to live. As long as you think your forgiveness is conditional, your forgiveness for others will likewise be just as conditional. When you realize God's forgiveness was free, it was unconditional, you'll freely forgive others unconditionally. As long as you think God's love for you is conditional, likewise your love for others will be just as conditional. But when you realize that God's love for you is unconditional, you begin to love others unconditionally. You see, right believing brings forth right results. And listen, it's my love for you that inspires me each week to take this mic and share this liberating information. Thank you, Trey. We're looking forward to the uh, next next Truth Time Radio. Pretty much listen to everyone here on the uh, on-demand list. And I'm always checking your website for all, any new ones to come on. And greatly appreciate it. We all love Truth Time Radio here on Pal Talk. It's a chat program on the Internet. We have Grace Room, a few of them, here on Pal Talk. And I often play your Truth Time Radios. So continue the good work, and we look forward to the next True Time Radio. Thank you. TruthTimeRadio.com. That's the website. And remember, you only get two educations. The one you're given, and the one you give yourself. Listen to Truth Time on your smartphone. Download your favorite show today. Truth Time, exposing the truth, one download at a time.